Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. Today, we're talking with Jody DeVere, the CEO at AskPatty.com. AskPatty is a company that created the Certified Female Friendly Program, which helps automotive retail and service centers cater better to women. I connected with Jody while driving cross country for our Hit the Trails tour because towing a trailer through 30 states is not something many women are particularly known to do, and Jody served as a mentor to me along the way. I got a chance to learn about her career and lifelong passion for supporting women in the automotive world, and I really, really respect this woman and all she's doing to affect change in another male-dominated industry. I think you're really going to love her, so let's get started. Can you tell me about your career path and it's not even your career path it's almost like your your personal path of what has guided you and what adventures have you been on in your life that have also been incorporated into your work thank you for asking joy you know i have a long career i like to preface it by saying i have a 21 year old granddaughter so i don't want to go through my whole career because that could take too long but really I have almost always owned my own business. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. Why is that? A lot of people ask me because I became a business owner in a time in the 70s where in 80s, where early 80s, where it was not typical. You know, it just wasn't. Why? So I will just start by saying how you are in one way is how you are in all ways. And so your life experiences are reflected in your work life, in fact, in all your life. And 
I had some challenges early on. My children's father passed away. I was a young mother with three children. And I had to make some decisions at that time. And the decision that I made probably reflects a lot of how I, my go-to strategy was, I'm not going to lay down and die. I want to give my children the best life they can. And I was determined if I had to work three jobs to provide for them in a way that would be comfortable. And they were sort of my initial motivation to not to be a success in the accolades point of view, but as a provider point of view. And it really launched me into a lot of success because I was truly driven, I believe, by the right things. And and that has stayed true for me. What motivates you to really persevere and go through all the ups and downs and crises and life challenges and business challenges, your core of why you're doing it needs to have more depth than I just want to make more money. It really does. So that's a principle. So he passed away. I, even at that point, had already been a minor entrepreneur. That was a sort of a thing for me. And I'm extraordinarily creative in that sense and enjoy that creative process of developing a business and an idea. And But at that point, I really needed a a job with insurance and all that. And I happened to go on an interview with two crazy Israelis who later became Packer Bell Computer. And you're probably, uh, many listeners may be too young to remember that, but that company went from zero to five billion in a short five years. And And that propelled me because I was, you know, pretty much at the top of the chain. And that's the Packard from Hewlett Packard, right? Like that's the Packard that's part of HP, the Hewlett Packard. This is Packard Bell, same owners. What happened, a company at that time called Calabco bought the Packard Bell name, slammed it on Taiwanese computers that were really horrible. And what they did was brilliant. At that time, computers were only DOS and you had to pay someone to install software. They packaged the software in the computer and sold them at Price Club, otherwise like Costco. And it was a brilliant idea. And it grew from there. It just took off. It was the first time that computer users did not have to pay a computer land, is what they were called, to service their computers. It was brilliant. And this was all during the birth of Apple and IBM PC. They were even beating them out sales-wise because they were priced very for the for the general public versus you know I remember paying seventy five hundred dollars for an IBM computer with a forty megabyte drive at that time. Think about that in back then, right? And so what they did is they made it affordable for the masses, and that was sort of their their strategy. And along with many other things that they did, they were brilliant. And I often say I went to the Israeli school of entrepreneurship. They were aggressive, they were brilliant, and I really drank it all in. Subsequently, I left and started a business in that market, it was very successful. And that climb continued, you know, and in the high-tech market, what happens, and one of the skills that I've developed is there's a fast turnaround, like a product will come to market. It happens now. Like just about the time you get used to your new Apple phone, there's a new version. And so cycle times were starting to speed up. And so I had multiple 
not like a 10, but maybe four or five companies. And then right before, I even went back to work with them as a consultant for a year in, in the late 80s, but at around in the late 90s, sorry. And, but around that time, I was getting tired of it, the cycle times. And I had been so successful. And I decided to sell the company that I had at that time and consult. And because I had a lot of skills to offer, and it just turned out that a lot of the, my, my peers had gone to work in automotive because around 2000 is when vehicles were starting to have onboard computers and driven. So, and they were, and this is something that's a skill of mine in business. I realized that I was about six to 10 years, light years ahead of this industry in terms of my know-how technology-wise. That is a strategic advantage. And so it was great. And I love it. And 21 years later, I'm still in automotive. So I brought with me core competencies that they were behind the curve and I was ahead of the curve. This is a very important point in career to understand where you are in the curve in your industry. And so I applied. This is very important. I knew nothing about automotive, honestly, but I applied all of this know-how and I surrounded myself with people who were experts. I sought them out and I One of my first mentors in the automotive industry was a woman named Lorraine Schultz, who at the age of 60 started the very first women's organization. And I connected with her a few years into that and became very integrated into that organization. And what she did for me was introduce me to the right people. And I am so grateful to her. She passed away a couple of years ago during one of the women in automotive conference. I own two companies now, Ask Patty, which I started at the right before my 50th birthday and the woman in automotive eight years ago and at nearly 60. And so the other message, I hope the listeners hear because I'm sure your audience has a lot of the younger generation. It is, I never had this idea that I couldn't do anything. I always had this idea, why not? I'll just figure it out. I'll learn it. And I think that this is also a quality that entrepreneurs have. And yesterday I was, I host a lot of training, leadership and consulting. And one of the stats about women is that if a job comes available and a man thinks he can do 30 or 40% of it, he'll apply. A woman almost always wants to have almost 100% of those skills. I'm more like a guy that way. And I think that's been a strategic advantage that I understand myself that I love to learn and I'm capable. And so I don't have to have it all figured out up front. And I think that's a really important part of my career. And you'll see that replaying over and over like the automotive industry. My, my family was like, what? But I love it. And actually, AskPatty.com just had her a sweet 16th birthday. It is the longest that I have ever owned a company. And I still get up out of bed every morning and go, woohoo. And here's why. The other thing I think that was happening to me in the technology industry is that I began to want to have more meaning to my work. 
And I do believe millennials and youngers crave this in their work. They don't just want to work for it. They want to have meaning, like some cause or some mission. And I was really needing that in my life. My children by that time were pretty much grown. And so the focus on supporting them had somewhat subsided, but we'll come back to that later. And I wanted to have more meaning. And so Ask Patty has been that vehicle for me to keep me feeling really good about my work because Ask Patty is all about helping women and the industry understand the women's market, including hiring and developing more women leaders, which led me to co-founding the Women in Automotive with Christy Roman, my partner. And so the, the two companies work hand in hand. One is working more with the retail and the consumer woman, and one is working, again, with the leadership in the automotive industry and women in general to help them come and stay and develop their careers. So this is a lot to get your teeth into if you want meaning and to have feel like you're making an impact. So I can only imagine how much of an interesting trajectory that you've had and how many lessons that you've learned as being a woman in automotive in that industry. Like we talk about healthcare, there's a lot of women in healthcare and, and in health IT. But I mean, as somebody who just came off of the road, I definitely felt there was a different interaction that I got from men who saw what I was doing, like by hauling a trailer. Like that's not something that women are typically known for, not to say that they don't do it, but it's just not super common. And you seem to have jumped into an area that's not that common, I'm guessing. Maybe it's more common now, but perhaps when you started, it wasn't. Can you (laughs) talk about that? Yes. And seriously, even in high tech, remember the years, this was for the late 70s to the night, you know, to 2000, women leaders uh, again. And in automotive, even today, now we're in 2021, only a little over 26% of all employees are women. Most of those women, and that's talking about automakers, dealerships, the aftermarket, tire industry, most of those women are not in leadership jobs. They're in back, what I call the backroom jobs or assembly. And so, yes, it is an industry that is incredibly testosterone laden. I always say it's not the fault of the men entirely because you know, I think there is a malaise on certain industries that it's not welcoming to women. And to, to some degree, that is true. And so, but overall, because I watched the entire market of women in, in employment, with the exception of very few professions, one, two of my sisters are nurses. And, you know, men have the same men in nursing groups because they're in a shorter supply. By the way, they get paid more money and they're trying to attract more male nurses, but almost, you know, in financial services, in software development, definitely in engineering. And this is also will change because you have to remember, I won't go into all the reasons why, but parents have a lot to do with women's choices and molding their idea and, and why I, I've done a lot of research and study. And when I look back at how I was raised, I was the youngest of four daughters. And I think my mother and father, because of their background, they didn't put up those thinking barriers to me, as my mother and my father in different ways. They didn't 
give me those growing up messages that I could not do that or that was only for men. And so I was very fortunate. I also grew up in Southern California, which that makes an impact on the culture you grew up in, what you're exposed to. And it was a little more open to women for various reasons, maybe because of the movie industries here or just Californians are a little more open-minded. But so these have an impact on women and and many times, and I do mentor a lot of women, they don't even realize that they have these unconscious bias about themselves and their capabilities, which, and I want to talk about some of the thing, other things that I did that I think helped me break through some of that. So I had these kids and um, two of them were boys. Remember, I came from an all-girl family. So I was like, okay, we're going to do sports because boys like sports. So we did baseball. And then as they got into junior high, and lots of camping, camping. And here, a woman alone. I traveled with my children alone as a woman. because. But remember here, I, I don't know if every woman wants to do that, but I wanted my kids to have those experiences. I even took them on international trips because I wanted them to have that experience. and you know, breadth of contact with a lot of different cultures to help them develop. And then, oh boy, we got into whitewater boating for 11 years and I became a guide. And And I want to pause and say, what, what was I thinking, right? And, but how you are in one way is how you are in another. And so what happened to me, even though I was driven by literally keeping my kids busy, especially my boys, so they weren't getting on drugs and alcohol, enriching their lives and giving them experience. The result of that inadvertently was I was able to overcome a lot of anxiety and fear because what I was doing was quite dangerous at times, yet I was able to manage the fear and anxiety and overcome that. There was a group around me that supported that and my kids and It was very character building. It was also a way to help me learn to face big challenges fearlessly. I was already pretty fearless, but it honed some things in me. And that's why I'll repeat it. How you are in one way is how you are another. So then when actual really big life challenges came to me, Oh, and did I say that I did scuba diving, very extreme scuba diving and motorcycling. And then later even very late in life, off-roading, serious off-roading. And I think what happens to people in nature and also when you're faced with real challenges that aren't coming from people necessarily, that are coming from elements that you can't control, it really helps build your character and gives you this one gift. How far can I go before I break and I can't handle it? How far am I willing to go? How far can I push myself? Because I didn't realize it till a little later that what I was doing with my kids was actually helping me in my career and in my personal life and giving me a confidence and a sense of poise in difficult situations. And oh boy, I sure had some personal huge challenges come up and I was able to meet them. I will pause and say also, having a great, strong spiritual life of some nature will also help you during these times. But the sum of it was that I had been growing muscles that I didn't even know I had emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, to be able 
to be under great duress because I was tired and maybe thirsty and hungry and worn out, but still focused and be able to perform the task at hand in whitewater boating, I was able to perform those tasks in other areas of my life because I had learned how to do those things. So I think that people try and compartmentalize their lives a little bit and not understand that you're a whole organic person. And there are ways that may seem not familiar to you to help you grow your career and to grow yourself in your personhood to be able to do that. Everyone faces life's challenges, death in the family, the loss of a child, whatever those you know real things happen to everyone at some level. And instead of saying, oh, I'm being punished and this is terrible, it's an opportunity. That's how I see them because it helps you hone yourself and it translates into the rest of your life, especially your career. I definitely have been feeling like this pull to do hard things and to embrace it and like understand it's there is a challenge here, but at the same time, exactly to your point that whatever muscle I am you know, strengthening, I can apply in other ways. And even to the point of like getting stressed out on the road to your, of like, okay, I need to be able to maintain my composure when things around me, there's bad weather. I just got a tornado warning. There's a huge truck that is driving by me and I started to fishtail and I might want to just scream and throw my hands up and say, you know, I give up, but that's not going to do me any good. And instead I need to maintain my composure, make sure that I'm, you know, behaving in a way that it is like going to get me through and just, and at the end of it, my goodness, the confidence that it gives you. And it just feels so empowering. And when you look back and you think, if I was able to do that, whatever this new challenge is, I got it. And I think that you've really put some good words to it and of just that concept of embracing like that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay that you might not know everything, but to do it anyway and trust in yourself. Like trust, once you, I guess, build the muscle of knowing that you can do hard things, that as more come to you, you have this trust in yourself that you can continue to do that because you've already proven to yourself that you can. Does that make sense? It does. And another aspect of this that I I want to share that, and I'm not going to generalize and say many women because I'll say many people, and we're raised in a society, generally speaking, in North America, that you're supposed to be totally self-sufficient. And this is absolute baloney. No person is an island. And I think the other thing, when I, and I'm going to go back because it's a great example for younger people. So now I'm a mother of three kids. I have this big successful job and I'm traveling internationally, but I want my kids to do sports. So this became a lot of asking for help and negotiation. I became a horse trader. Like, okay, this, that weekend, I'll take care of the team the whole weekend and do all the writing. If you do it for me and really, negotiating and making sure that was happening. And so I, out of it was very humbling to ask for help, by the way, but I really needed it. I even needed to have a live-in housekeeper, uh, caregiver for a while. It was humbling to admit that I couldn't be their mother and their father and then be the main provider. And so I think this was also a skill that how did this play out? 
So this idea, this cultural idea that asking for help is shameful got dispelled for me early. And so I am not afraid to ask for help. I am not afraid to surround myself with people who know more than me. I am not a prima donna ever. I still feel that way. I have so much to learn from people. Even you, Joy. It doesn't, it's not an age thing that, you know, I said I made it, I'm becoming a Zoom professional. And I think these young people know more than they, they should be doing this. I, I need to hire a young, you know, even though I'm figuring it out. But so what I recommend and what I developed is sort of a personal and professional board of directors that those people that I could trust that I could go to. Now that has the dynamic and the people have changed as my needs have changed over the years, but I pretty much had that going on in your community, whatever that looks like. And of course, your your BFF, your best friends. But seriously, best friends are sometimes not able to tell you that's a bad idea, Jody. So the personal board of directors and professional board of directors are people that I respect that will tell me the truth, seriously, and that I can go to for advice and help. I have actually just recently launched a formal mentoring program for women in automotive for that point, because quite often, as women go up the ladder in all industries, they become very, I call them mushrooms in the dark. They're very isolated. I was. I didn't look around and see a lot of other women doing what I was doing. And and so I had men mentors and some women mentors, but connecting those women and having peer mentors or, or having women who, it doesn't mean their whole career you need to be mentored, but that portion of their career that you don't have that strength. So this idea that I need to be a know-it-all and be good at everything, I think women in general, that whole thing about applying for the job, I have to know everything, but you can share information. And I'm really good at doing that. I'm really good at knowing, wow, I can just surround myself and we can feed together. And we we are stronger together than trying to be the solo artist out there doing it on her own. Well, I love that. And that's definitely something that I've been trying to get across through, you know, our audience and the community that we're building here, which is we're here to support each other and I'll help you and you'll help me. And together, you know, we can, we can do more to, we can do more together than we ever could on our own. I truly, truly believe that. And I feel like your success is all of our success. You know, like it's not a competition in any way, shape or form. I would like our listeners to understand a little bit more about what Ask Patty does. Like what is the niche of Ask Patty? How do you support women there? I'm really glad that you said niche because one of my first mentors way back in the day said something to me that really stuck. He said, Jody, it's always better to have a niche business because it's harder to replicate and it's more defensible from competitors. And that's what I say. So Ask Patty does something quite unique in the automotive industry. One, we provide automotive advice for women through Ask Patty. Women can submit questions. I would like to say in the year 2021, we're not still getting the question, when is my oil change interval? But it still is. Women really generally do not do a very good job understanding even basic uh, maintenance on their vehicles. Nobody reads the manual really. And it's an educational portion. The second thing we do is we actually train and certify automotive retailers to communicate more effectively with women, both in person at the counter or in that environment. And that means car dealers, independent service centers, collision centers, tire dealers, used car dealers, 
We also help them with their marketing to women because I'm sure all women can agree that sometimes you see their advertising and you go, ouch, that either offends me or does not resonate with me. So that's what Ask Petty does. We also provide ongoing training. And just recently, because having a business for 16 years, you have to kind of like be like Madonna and reinvent yourself every once in a while. And they're I want to say for 16 years that the need for this in my industry will outlive me, but it's gone well. But just recently, in fact, July of 2021, we launched additional uh, training and certification for additional topics revolving around leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion, more marketing skills, because there's so much more as social media and all these additional ways to communicate your brand and your marketing and advertising messaging. And the more you can visit that new site at askpattytraining.com. And I'm really proud of that work, which I'm doing in conjunction with a, a bevy of exceptional women who are all PhDs, master's degrees in their various roles. Emotional intelligence is another topic we cover. I mentioned that. So that's what Ask Patty does. My other company, the Women in Automotive, our mission is to attract, retain, hire, retain, and develop more women leaders in the automotive industry across all segments. And again, these two businesses work hand in hand. The Women in Automotive holds several conferences a year. Our conferences are not for women. They are about women. However, curiously enough, only... 30% of our attendees are men. It is very unusual in the automotive industry. Usually we go to a conference as 10% women and 90% men. So it's kind of refreshing. And we also work in conjunction with the auto shows like the New York Auto Show, the Chicago Auto Show to have what I call side-by-side events. And in, during COVID, which we're still muddling through this up and down, we uh, held virtual conferences every month. In fact, those are still being held. And these were our attempt to continue to support our industry. There were a lot of issues, especially revolving around employment during COVID, when moms now have to work at home and care for their children and various other topics that have been hot topics, either because of political reasons or industry. Our industry had to take a big pivot to develop. So I'm very proud of these two organizations and we are thriving during COVID where many companies took a big hit. Ask Patty had its best year. Women in Automotive did great. And I was thinking about another podcast I did seven months into COVID. I watched it last night to kind of get a feeling of what I would talk about today. And at that time, with my team, I think this is extreme, extraordinarily helpful for leaders and organizations to hear this. I pivot very quickly. You heard my story. I will punctuate it by saying the challenges that came into my life, especially after 40, became even more critical. And I learned well how to pivot and not get paralyzed and focus on solutions and not wallow in circumstances I had no control over. And I made a decision right at the beginning of COVID for my team and my staff that we, and I had a little sticky note that I put on my computer that we would operate with care, compassion, concern, kindness, and that we would provide an experience internally and for our vendors and clients 
to be a unifying point of contact. And I believe even though we had been doing that for the most part, it became a mission for us. And I believe this is how we were able to thrive. We really, our first concern was about people and our second concern was about business. And, and it was real. And our clients, vendor partners, and staff all responded and rose to the occasion for that. Also, most service uh, vehicles continued. It had a little blip. And so I was very fortunate, too, that that part of my business didn't completely stop. I think it's important that your mission and your culture match your industry and that you are driven more than by financial success and count being counting. And what I have seen over the last two years in my industry, the auto industry, which is heavily guided by those principles, capitalism to the extreme, that I am very happy to state that emotional intelligence and pulling back into some of these values is happening. In other words, I see growth in my industry along these lines, which produces even better success and results and more long-term. So in thinking about your individual team and your individual role as a, a leader of your own company or your division or just your work ethic needs to have more value. And it has certainly kept me getting out of bed, happy as a clam, going out to you know, take care of business for the last 21 years. And so I think that's important to mention right now. I absolutely agree. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that considering your values and considering what impact you want to make in the world or, you know, how well you sleep at night, like what is it that actually drives you? I know personally, like it can't be around just making more money. It's like, what difference do you want to make? How do you want to connect with people or how do you want to serve people in a way that is meaningful? And I'm curious to know, and sort of going back a little bit, I'm curious to know when in getting women in positions of leadership, have you gotten any insights into how to retain them there? Not just to hire and attract them, but how to keep them there. And is it at all tied to this conversation around values? That's a very loaded question, and there is a complex answer because there's no one thing. And we experience this in automotive where women leave, you know, they get up there and then they can't deal with X, Y, and Z and they leave to another industry because, again, like me, they were very capable and they could translate those skills into another industry. And so we're working very hard. And I, one of the things I mentioned, I think, is really important that mushrooms don't grow in the dark. And this is a fault somewhat of women, especially as they really get up there. Sometimes they feel or they model themselves too much over the men to fit in, and then they have a crisis and they are not surrounding themselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be all women mentors, but a personal board of directors that they can utilize ongoing mentoring. Mentoring doesn't mean you, you have to develop a, a relationship of trust. This takes time. You can change mentors as your need change, but you should have that in play. And I think that's one of the, it's not only the industry. Some of this is, I always say 50% is on the woman 
and 50% is on the workplace or the industry. Two, if you are not driven by values, like this is one of my values. I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm doing it for other women. If I leave the industry, what impact will that have on the other women? I need to be successful also for them. So sometimes if it's just a personal success, you're not understanding that you women are looking to you for that guidance. So there's this giving, give and take also. Obviously, there, there are some situations where you must go for personal read, but I'm speaking of some of the things I have seen. The biggest thing, the biggest reason is lack of what I call professional human resources, best practices in companies around sexual harassment, harassment, providing training on communication skills, having ERGs, employee resource groups, that women can get that support that I was speaking of. So when you do not support your employees in the needs that they have, if you say this as a company, well, we treat all our employees the same. This is bias. And it's a great excuse not to provide. And a subset of women is diversity. So the companies who do their best, and no one has it perfect, to address multicultural needs of their employees and provide that support through special ERGs for the LBTQ or women or you know people of color, and who don't address the subset of success that I was talking about of having a mission, a culture, and a foundation that is real driving their company. You don't have to do it right all the time, but you, and I think what happens to employee and address the needs of the younger people. I don't want to leave that out because I think that people grow up in an organization and then at some point go, I can't take this anymore. I'm going. And the younger people want more. They want more meaning to their work. They want, they just, there are things they need. So smart companies will develop that into and not just have a mission that they've had the same culture mission for 50 years and say, we're fine, you know, and continue to grow and develop and to learn. And this is a big undertaking, especially if you're, you don't understand the concept that people are profits and that, you know, some companies have this culture, well, we'll just replace them. Or, you know, or find a reason. And I think this has to do with the skill of taking responsibility for your turn. If you're having high turnover, it's your problem. You didn't, you know, you're, you've got a problem in your how you hire. And if you're losing women, you know, and the, the whole, well, we don't train anymore because we've done a lot of investment in training and then they leave. Well, whose fault is that? You know, and so I think that there, I've heard it all at this point. Taking responsibility and developing a culture where women and subset diverse employees want to work has to be key. The cost of continuing to hire and develop is much greater than the cost of doing the internal work. And so I respect companies that do it and do it for the long term. And, you know, companies are rated by women on 1.2. How many women are in your board of directors? How many are in the C-suite? We don't see them there. We're not going to want to work for you because we already know your culture isn't real. You could say we're welcoming for women, but you have to be that. And I think that is a big part of why we lose uh, women. And then I'm only going to make one more remark because I also, there are 
again, in very male dominant industries, women develop another character. I think I did that somewhat and not being very truthful in the high tech market. I just became like the guys. I used to wear my hair really, really short and I wore those IBM suits and I tried to fit in and to downplay my womanliness so I could be more competitive. And I was hugely successful, by the way. So that whether it was that or, but that's, you know, I didn't know any better. And then I reached around my 40th birthday and I had some kind of epiphany. Like I was sick of wearing blue, gray, and black. I wanted to wear flowery, flowery. I, I want to be a girl. I'm a girl. And what's wrong with being a girl? And there are things about being a woman that are to your strategic advantage. If you read the studies, better listening skills, more empathy, not everyone, but these are some skills that women are great communicators, generally speaking. We happen to speak 20,000 words a minute versus men's three or 4,000. Getting a few of my 20,000 out right away today, Joy, <laughs> with you. But do you, so it is very complex. And so this is about leaders doing it right. However, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this because I'm very passionate. I spent many years telling my industry this is what they needed to do and talking about and telling men what they sharing and training. And here's what, what I found. Another epiphany. You know what? Women. Let's just do this ourselves. So the women in automotive really was born out. In, and our strategy is not to tell our industry what they need to be doing right. It's about, this is what we're doing. Men, if you want to come over and do it, but we're not going to force you or make you feel bad. But what we are going to do is each individual person that comes to our conferences, that goes to our webinars, we're going to empower you to go back like a pebble in the pond and drop it where you are and be it's like a political party where every person can make a small impact by how they vote and think about it, how, their actions and what they say. And then that the people under them and above them, how they impacted. And we have seen more traction over the last eight years because of this, the way of going to market to solve the problem. So with at finding advocates and sponsors, and when I talk about sponsors, companies that are sponsoring us and finding advocates who will speak to the industry and all of those things works better than just being pissed off and mad and, you know, and not being able to impact it. Not to say that I have not made an impact. I believe in my industry that I'm a lightning rod it is what I am very well known. And I have consistently, and I'm very well respected. And you need to be, to become influential. This is really how you influence your industry is about how you are, how you're built, how your character, your words, your actions. And with social media, the it can be magnified tremendously. So that's what needs to happen. There's two things that come to mind from based on what you're saying. And and one of them is the idea of being an example, right? Instead of trying to tear down what it is you don't want to see, how do you start building up what you do want to see? And so it has to do with your attention. And one way that I saw that play out on this journey that we went on was visiting an elementary school in El Paso, Texas, where they had implemented kindness 
training or kindness like curriculum versus anti-bullying. So they spent all of their efforts and time in teaching these students how to be kind to one another by giving them examples of, you know, here's good behavior, here's something nice that you can do, or like, like all like small and large of just ways that they could incorporate it into their being and their culture versus having this like ongoing anti-bullying campaign where you talk about like what is bullying and why shouldn't we do it or whatever it's just a it's the same message it's the same but totally different approach and how do you get the results that you want and I feel like that applies to what you're saying and then the other thing that shows up for me is really acknowledging that we're all you know a whole person that we're not just our job that we're not you know, just trying to fit into a role at our job, that how important it is to actually acknowledge your own uniqueness, whether it's you're super feminine or you like to wear red or whatever it is, that to use that to your advantage instead of pushing it away or trying to fit in with the mold, so to speak, that like kind of embracing diversity in all of its forms and using that as a strength instead of a weakness. People tend to describe themselves as roles. I'm a mother, I'm an employee, I'm a whatever. Instead, it's I am a whole person and I have multiple parts to myself and I am integrated. And at 40, I think, is when the journey really began. I I was tired. It it takes a lot of work to keep switching gears and and just being roles instead of a whole person. And I think that being integrated also helps you confidence because you're not naysaying, oh, I'm not a good mom, but I'm a good employee. You're growing as a whole person. It is also more believable. Transparency has become a big word these days. And I believe human beings know the difference between someone acting a role than speaking transparently from their own knowledge and experience. And human beings respect and respond to the second better. And so this is something to remember and it is becoming more and more important, I think, as the world's communication grows. You know, Right now I could be talking to somebody in Switzerland or I could be talking to, and the world is getting smaller in that way. And so this human beingness needs to be real. Being a real person helps you connect better and be a better leader and actually get more done, my opinion. So speaking of you being a whole person, what is it that you're doing in your free time when you're not working? Are you scuba diving still? Are you still whitewater rafting? Are you going off-road? I'm doing a lot. During COVID, I did a lot of camping. It was one of the safe things in my bubble were my children, grandchildren. I have uh, six grandchildren. I recently, I cared for my aging parents. I actually took care of my mother full-time. She lived with me and that ended about two years ago. So it was a big life change for me. I was able to move back closer to my family. So I've been investing in that. During COVID, I became Betty Crocker. It allowed me uh, time and I love to cook. And man, I was just whipping out some, I would call them Michelin five-star meals. Currently, I have gotten interested in gardening in a big way, organic gardening. My daughter is licensed. She teaches organic gardening. 
and I'm having way fun. I know a lot of people during COVID started doing things like that. So I'm traditional that way. My free time is also spent. I'm involved in my church and I work with youth. I'm actually having a group of 10 junior high age girls. I live on a 12 acre ranch over to camp on the ranch and uh, visit with the chickens, the goats. And I have a lot of semi-feral cats rolling around. They keep producing, you know. And so I have a full life. Running two businesses does occupy a lot of my time as well. And for those of you who are uber successful, balance is do not beat yourself up because you don't have this balanced life. It is an ebb and flow, but it is your decision how balanced it's going to be or not. I definitely do take time for myself. And um, and so that's part of you know self-care. I meditate. Uh, what else do I do? Gosh, I love movies and not TV. I, I stopped watching TV about 10 years ago. I don't watch TV. I read or watch good movies. Mostly, I love being outside. So I spend a lot of my free time out of doors. I just... I feel like I've learned so much from you in this conversation already. And Jody, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your experience and expertise. And just you're, you clearly are a wise woman. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. If somebody in our audience wanted to connect with you or if they wanted to follow you on social media, what would be the best way for them to do so? Almost all my social media or Ask Patty, just look up Ask Patty on Instagram, Ask Patty on Twitter. Jody Devere is my name, D-E-V-E-R-E. Visit askpatty.com. And to check out my new product, go to askpattytraining.com. That's Patty with a Y. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We manage a lot of LinkedIn groups. And to connect with the women in automotive, Go to womeninautomotive.com. We have a Facebook page and we also have a, if you're in automotive for any reason, we also have a private Facebook group, which we talk about some of the challenges working in automotive. Lots of places to connect with me. Joy, this has been a joy, a pleasure. You're delightful. And I so respect you and what you're doing in your industry around women and I think we're kind of made of the same clay, you and I. I feel the same. I really feel the same. <laughs> so thank you again. And uh, don't make me cry. <laughs> All right. Great day. You too. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.